This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, Nick Loper here from the Side Hustle Show. When I'm not helping people earn money outside of their day job, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everybody, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and today we celebrate National Sourist Day, which is my favorite holiday. You know, I hate most holidays, but this one is barely tolerable. To make you a little less sour... We're going to talk about using data to make better investment decisions. Sound good? Sounds just okay to me, but what do I know? To help us, we welcome from Cruise Asset Management, Stuart Cruz, and from YCharts, CEO Sean Brown. Also, in our headline segment, Canadians are going to have some new mortgage rules. Will those also end up affecting U.S. borrowers? We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline to Ben, who wonders if his financial advisor's fees are too high, answer a listener letter, and also share some of the best sour-flavored trivia you've ever sampled. And now, two guys who most people refer to as the original Sour Patch Kids, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G! Some of us are more sour than others. It's a fun experiment when you give those to your baby. Oh, no. No. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to... I don't to think I've ever done anything. Like another uh, bad parenting episode of the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi. Average Joe Money on Twitter. Just so you know which voice is which and across the table from me again on hump day, it's Mr. OG. I think that was Mrs. OG. Who did that? Gave the baby the sour patch. Now you're going to throw her under the bus because she's not here under to defend herself. Under the bus. She can't defend herself. She's not here. She's doing something, but not in the basement. <laughs> but not here. You know who is here, OG? There's people who want to take a second look about how they can start investing passive income by investing in rental properties through Roofstock. That's an online marketplace for buying and selling tenant-occupied homes. Whether you're in California or New York, Roofstop makes it efficient and hassle-free to diversify your portfolio and invest from anywhere in high-yield markets like Atlanta or Memphis. What I like is they lay out all the property reports and financials, so they're right there at your fingertips, and even connect you with vetted local property managers for hassle-free ownership. Every property is thoroughly vetted by Roofstock's certification team, so you know it's in good condition with a reliable tenant in place. And best of all, Roofstock certified properties are backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Roofstock property investing made simple. Visit stackybedjamins.com forward slash Roofstock to learn more about rental home investing and browse exclusive listings today. They just opened up, got a message from Blair over there, OG. They just opened up in Cleveland because Cleveland rocks. Cleveland rocks, man. Now buy real estate in Cleveland. And you know a place that you go to make sure you've got the money in the right place? Magnifymoney.com. Because when you head to magnifymoney.com, you'll find out that those products that your bank has been telling you are the best forever might not be because over 92% of the products out there are compared and contrasted at magnifiedmoney.com. They make it super easy for you to compare, ditch, switch, and then save a bunch of money instead of just walking in and saying, what do you got? We comparison shop the price of gasoline. We look for maybe two cents off or three cents off. Why wouldn't we comparison shop the financial tools we use every day, like your checking account, your savings account, cash back, reward cards, 0% interest cards, consolidation loans, student loan refinancing, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. 
We are magnifying this show, OG, because we're talking about data on today's show. We got some headlines first, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Some news from north of the border. This from Fox Business, written by Paul Vieira and Vapelmunga. Canada imposes tougher mortgage rules effective 2018. Did you see this? I saw the headline. I didn't read it. Tell me more. Not that I'm buying property in Canada, but no. some people might be. Well, and I think this is important for people wherever they are. It says Canada's, it might trickle down. Canada's banking watch from the north to the south as, if, as, as, as if it's like a hill. It's gravity. Stuff that starts Science, in, dude. Stuff that starts in Ottawa finally makes its way to Florida. Is that how it works? Yeah. Of course. Don't you know? I mean, don't you know how that works? Haven't you looked at a globe? Gravity. Canada's banking watchdog unveiled tougher mortgage financing rules that take effect on January 1st that real estate watchers and economists say could dramatically slow house buying and borrowing. The measures first proposed in July amid heightened concern over rapid house price appreciation in the greater Toronto area. Canada's largest urban center and surrounding communities in southern Ontario. Since the proposal, the Bank of Canada has raised its benchmark interest rate twice. And officials say that concerns over financial stability played a role in the policy decision making. Here's here's the way it works. It says the most notable measure, OG, is this provision that would require all prospective buyers, even those who have a down payment of over 20%, to undergo a so-called stress test before a bank can issue a loan. Previously, only buyers with a down payment of less than 20% had to undergo a stress test. Under that stress test, prospective buyers would have to qualify for a mortgage at a rate at whichever is greater, either two percentage points above the negotiated rate or the Bank of Canada's five-year benchmark rate. Right now, the central bank's five-year rate is at 4.89. So you'd have to qualify for a loan at 6.89. doesn't mean you're taking the loan out at 6.89, but you have to qualify for a payment that's going to be based on that higher interest rate. Are all the loans in Canada variable? It, it doesn't say anything about that here. I don't think so. There's a fixed rate. There are fixed rate loans in Canada. Then why would I have to qualify for a 6.8% interest rate payment if the loan that I'm going to get is 4.8? Because it's you have to qualify based on a higher payment. So your payment's going to be higher, and you have to qualify based on the, the higher payment that a 6.8 would give you meaning that there's people that are marginal buyers that might not qualify. You know what I Well, of course they can't because if they're right at the margin of qualifying at 4.8, right. they would never be able to qualify at 6.8. Exactly. And but that's why, and that's why the, does that make sense? And that's I think it's ridiculous. And that's that's the stress test. The stress test is listen, why are you applying for a loan at 4.8 if you can't afford if you can't afford 6.8, you're too close to the line so Canada's backing them down. I like the fact that you're playing devil's advocate here, but I think this is ridiculous. I'm not playing devil's advocate. I don't want to talk about government involvement, but what I do think is that- No, I'm not talking about that either. But at the end of the day, if the current rates are 4% and based on my income and whatever else, my payment history and all that other sort of stuff, my credit, I can afford a loan at 4%. I don't understand why I'd have to then show that I can also afford it at 6 if there's no chance that the loan ever goes to 6 like you can't afford a higher payment. Yeah, no shit. That's why I'm buying this house right now. Otherwise, I'd buy that house down the street that is a little bit nicer. But they're saying you're, you're then too I could afford it. You're too close to the mark. You're too close to one bad thing happening in your life and the the whole thing goes to I mean, if you can't afford 2% higher, if you don't meet that stress test, why the hell are you buying a house in the first place? Because actually, the thing that I like about this isn't the government involvement part. It's the fact that we should be doing our own stress test, shouldn't we? I mean, if I can't afford a house at 6.5% and I'm buying it at 4 and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make that move, I'm making a bad financial move. Like, that is a horrible financial move for me. I am way, way, way too close to the line to be making that move. I need to back down the value of the house that I'm buying. I need to buy a cheaper house. I don't know that we're going to agree on this because there's already all the other, and I don't know what they are in Canada, of course, but in the U.S., you've got all those other rules, right? Yeah, but like, even those, can't it doesn't be more ma- than 36% of your gross income, yeah, yeah, okay, any of okay. right? Yeah, fine. The, the, the bank rules are what they are, but you and I have talked about this before. If, if you're borrowing the huge amount that the bank will let you borrow, you're probably making a bad financial move there. All they're doing is just making it more complicated, I think. So they're moving levers that don't need to be moved. 
Like, why don't you just say you need to put 20% down? Period. Why don't they just say you have to? I'm not, I'm not worried about the. I'm not worried about the government involvement part. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that at all. And you're not talking about the rule. You're just saying you should be able to. I'm saying I think this idea of don't a, borrow money if you're too close to the edge. I think this idea of a stress test on myself, like okay, I want to have personal accountability to do this stuff myself. I look at this from a government involvement. That's a whole different argument. Yeah. But, but me myself, if I can't afford the loan at six point eight nine, but I can afford four point eight nine. It doesn't mean I should go get it. And yet a big part of the reason why the real some of these real estate markets are as hot as they are is because there's people doing that. There's people going right to the edge, borrowing every single dollar that the bank will let them have and hanging on for dear life and hoping I keep that job. And the second the job goes away, oh man, but the bank let me have it. The bank's not out for your best interest. The bank's hoping you win. But the bank's hoping you barely win, right? The bank makes Nick Clements from Magnify Money's been on. To, he used to work in banking and said when they would do the credit card analysis, they would look for people that were always late on their loans but never defaulted. That's who they wanted. They want because those people they're raking in money off those people. It's the same people that don't pass this Canadian stress test. If you don't pass that Canadian stress test, you're going to be in a world of hurt. I think the Canadian stress test should be how many Molson triple X's can you have oh, while signing your mortgage documents? I'm so glad you take this seriously. I think it's a joke. That's why I don't. <laughs> you, you don't think that being responsible with your mortgage is important. You don't put words in my mouth. I think it's responsible, but I just don't understand why you have to have an artificially uh, created second tier of qualification. If the going rate is X and I've saved money and I have a job and right. I've been responsible okay. with my loan. For the 57th time, I'm telling you, I'm not worried about the rule. I'm not worried about the rule at all. I'm not worried about the rule. My point of bringing it up wasn't even the rule. Oh, that totally wasn't the rule. I'm not following then. <laughs> <laughs> Joe gives OG the eye roll and sigh. Our second headline comes to us from Napa Dash Net. That's what it says in the script right there, right? Joe gives. <laughs> OG, massive eye roll inside. That's how okay. we end that. We say, screw it. We're, Agree to we're, disagree. We're going to move on. I don't even think we're disagreeing. I think you refuse to have the discussion I want to have, which is fine. That's okay. If you want to wrap yourself in, in the Canadian rule and just stick with that, that's great. Next up is uh, from <laughs> Napadash. We can go back to it if you'd like. I'm happy to. I, I already tried to get there three times and you block it every time and go back to the rule. So... Hey, I'm playing goalie in Canada. Oh, boy. Uh, a and B. This piece is written by Ted Godbout. Uh, U.S. receives top overall grade in global finance report. Woo-hoo. How about this? You get a little trophy with a star on it to I, put on the mantle in the White House? Who in the U.S. gets to hold it? Do we send it from one person to another person to their house like, like each the, week? It's like the uh, Stanley Cup. Right. A biennial global finance report gives the U.S. the highest overall grade in terms of global best practices for mutual funds from the perspective of fund shareholders, but says the U.S. lags in its regulation and taxation practices. And OG is looking for more regulation, so let's keep going there. I was going to say, we can talk about government regulations some oh. more and some tax policies. Morningstar's 209-page global fund investor experience study covers 25 countries across North America, Europe, Asia, and Africa, evaluating each country's treatment of mutual fund investors from four perspectives, the structure and effectiveness of regulatory bodies in the tax code, disclosure practices, fees and expenses, and sales practices. The report notes the U.S. continues to lead with lower expenses and a strong disclosure regime as it has since Morningstar's first study in 2009. Man, and what's funny is I read that, and I try to read that without laughing, because how often do we talk about Fees are way too high on that fund. People getting raked over the coals by a fee that's too high. And maybe it's that openness of so many people sharing the fact when somebody's trying to have a high fee that creates that. Well, I like the disclosure piece, right? When was the last time that you got, I mean, we used to get these in the mail all the time. I'm sure you remember too. You know, you get those uh, half folded and half booklets of prospectuses, prospecti. I'm not sure the plural of prospectus, but in any event, you know, it's like 700 pages, oil skin paper. Yeah. That's disclosure. All right. 
Yeah, the, the, a prospectus that big, man, those keep the fire burning for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I'm happy when those come in because they make great starter kindling. Yeah. I actually like going to the Morningstar single page. Like if you're going to look up what your fund's all about, if you go to Morningstar.com, and I know they commissioned the study, so maybe they're they're excited that we're doing this. Uh, but but I do. I like it. They try to get you to pay for it. There's nothing there that most people listening to this show would need for the premium membership that you pay for. But I'll tell you, in one page, you get all, Tons of info. all yep. the facts. Very well Everything. laid out versus that book you get. By the way, when it comes to sales practices, Australia has the best investor experience for sales. Good day, mate. While Belgium, Finland, Norway, and Spain have some of the worst, according to the report, the U.S. received an average rate ranking in how mutual funds get sold, how hmm. they're sold to investors. Well, I'll link to those in our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. I think uh, I think our our lessons are, number one, don't try to make a point with OG that has anything remotely to do with being responsible with your mortgage. And number two is when it comes to disclosure about your fund, the prospectus might not be the best place to go. There's other resources that will help you see exactly what's going on in your fund like Morningstar. We're number one. We're number one. <laughs> I want a gold star to put on my... Do you put a gold star like on your computer somewhere to say that we yes i don't know the if best you, i don't know if you practices. know this i don't know if you know this mom but we are number one in mutual funds yeah we are number one take uh, that norway Stuart cruz is with cruise asset management he's a guy that uses data in a big big way to help his clients and some of that data comes from a place called y charts and i asked uh, sean brown the ceo of y charts to come down to the basement also these two gentlemen talking about some of the stuff you know richard thaler just won the Nobel Prize for his work on behavioral research, behavioral economics. These guys are going to talk behavior, numbers, and investing. Let's say hello to Stuart and Sean. And coming down the stairs right now, look at these two guys. Sean Brown, CEO of YCharts, and Stuart Cruz from Cruz Asset Management. Have a seat, guys. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing well. Thanks for having us. Well, it's fantastic because I love this idea. Well, Sean, I'm, I'm going to start with you just briefly because I think uh, Stuart is who we're going to want to talk to here for a story. But you find running Y charts, I'm sure that data is the difference between a great investor and a mediocre investor. Couldn't agree with you more. The better homework you do, the better you do in school. Same thing with investments. And Stuart, I know you see that all the time in your practice, managing money for individuals and I'm sure for institutions. Do you have any any story you might be able to tell us about somebody where having a little bit more data kind of saved their bacon? Sure. I've got all sorts of stories, um, uh, as you can imagine, but one uh, in particular comes into mind. I had a um, client... She unfortunately lost her husband in a freak boating accident, ended up with about $5 million in cash, but had no idea what to do with this money. So she started asking around and some of her friends uh, gave her recommendations. And um, of course, she got re referred to a large investment bank and some of her other friends infer, uh, referred her to some independent advisors. And um, she felt super comfortable walking into a large bank because she saw the marble and all the hustle and bustle, and she kind of felt more safe and protected. But what I pointed out to her was that if she didn't have something to compare this to in a year or two or three down the road, she wouldn't have any more information other than what this big bank was like. So she decided to spread her money around to some other people. I was fortunate to be part of that group. And then after about 12 months, because she had more data to work with, she realized that the big bank's performance was actually pretty bad. The mutual funds that she was using or that was recommended to her were all by the big bank themselves. Oh, and no. Seven or nine of the 11 mutual funds that are in her account are all the big bank's funds. Then clearly this is not the best solution for the client, it's the best solution for the big bank. And you got to ask yourself why, why that would be. 
Now, there's no bank out there, no no strategy that has the market cornered on the best solution for every single aspect. So certainly, this one bank didn't have the best solution in every asset class. How do you and, how do you not to cut you off, Stuart? But how do you explain that to a client? Because I think there's obviously with somebody they're going to be a little emotional. Do you just bring out what they have and show them the data, like a Morningstar chart or you know Y charts or whatever it might be, to show them what the fees are that they're paying? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I do. As my wife might attest to is I have very little filter, which is why I like the data. So (laughs) I just go straight for it and I'm very upfront with everything right or wrong. So I will show them the data. I will take them to an independent source. And for me, that's could be white charts that will show them fees, costs, performance relative to an index fund, relative to their world and ask them whether this makes sense to them or not. If the client themselves is truly the most important thing on the table, or is it some other aspect that's more important for the big bank or for the advisor that's advising them on this account? So I'm, I'm sure then she left the big bank, I would imagine. Within 12 months, she pulled all the money yeah. from the big bank and split it between two independent advisory companies, myself being one of them. Do you think that that's, that's a fair time frame to evaluate a financial advisor? 12 months, is that about about right? I don't know that's the right time frame to evaluate the performance of an investment strategy, but to evaluate how they do business, I think uh, it's more than enough time. Right. Yes. Well, that's interesting. And what that did, Stuart, was obviously took her from subpar. I mean, when you eliminate fees and go to, let's say, an ETF strategy, you can then bring your your performance closer to the market. But that doesn't add what they call alpha. And I'm not explaining alpha to you. You know alpha. I'm explaining to our listeners where you're actually tweaking and maybe trying to outperform the market. What do you do data-wise then to go to the next level once you cut the fees down to a manageable number? Yeah, I think data is the only solution. I mean, as the as the numbers play out and as a lot of analysis will show you, 60 to 80% of active fund managers underperform. But that's because these active managers, they basically have an investment committee and um, analysts that try to... I mean, they use numbers, but they at the end of the day, they're subjective decisions. And they end up underperforming for the main basic reason that an average performer, less the costs of the running the shop and all the salaries, is going to be sub-average. And even a slightly outperformer is going to be sub-average. So um, in order to outperform, you have to deviate to some extent. And to me, that is using straight data. So you use data to look for advantages in the marketplace. You're looking for statistical advantages that have led towards outperformance or long-term outperformance. And for me, it's a little bit like, I don't know if you're familiar with Moneyball or Las Vegas, you just want to try and slant the odds in your favor. One good example of that is most indexes are market cap weighted, which means the market the stocks with the largest market cap get the biggest lion's share of the um, of the allocation to that index. But if you have Apple, which is an amazingly big company, but also an amazing company in and of itself, it's $750 billion in market cap. It has to grow by $75 billion in 12 months to grow 10%. That's larger than 90 plus percent of all companies that have ever been in existence. And that's a monumental task. So, Instead of expecting these humongous companies to grow at these kind of rates, which are, which have never basically happened ever, if you were to equally weight these indexes, you outperform. So that's one good way of outperforming the index and putting yourself in the top 20%, if not more, of all financial professionals. And if you take that one step further to get even more alpha, you can weight or evaluate stocks by a slew of these criteria. Well, and you see, let's transition over to Sean, bring him in for a second, because at YCharts, Sean, obviously you're a guy providing a lot of that data, but you must see people slice and dice information in some pretty interesting ways. I really do. And just building a little bit off of Stuart's, just the problem statement, you know, if if you run the data, just looking at mutual funds, 8% of actively managed funds have outperformed the Vanguard 500 over the last five years and 16% over 10 years. So it's a small subset that are beating the market. And and what we're seeing, we're seeing some really fascinating ways people are looking to derive their alpha. They're basically saying data is real cheap nowadays and processing power is cheap. So what are the leading indicators I could look at 
to predict market movement. Um, some of the coolest ones we've seen are uh, people doing satellite imagery of parking lots. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, think about that. If I can tell what's going on in the parking lot out in front of Walmart, I have a way to predict early same-store sales, social media trending, private jet tracking. Uh, literally, it is getting so creative that I don't doubt that in five years, there is going to be some data source that tracks the perspiration or deodorant level of CXO <laughs> level executives to say, hey, if, if that level's high, something interesting is going on. I want to buy or I want to sell. Stuart, are you tracking uh, what's going on in the Walmart parking lot at night? You, you out there counting cars in the Chicago land area? Personally, I'm not, but that is a, that does seem like a a plausible way to go about things. I mean, I use the data that's available to me. I just, I don't have the time to go and check out the Walmart uh, nor the resources <laughs> to check out the satellite imagery, but I use more simple information like PE ratios, uh, asset efficiency, things that are readily available in the marketplace that have shown to lead towards outperformance. Yeah. It doesn't have to available. be, it doesn't have to be that, that complicated is what you're saying, Stuart. That's right. It can be pretty simple. These things have been pretty robust over long periods of time. So um, until something changes and everybody's using this exact same data, then it's still probably going to work. Well, and Sean, that's Stuart, a, 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 Stuart, yeah, go I'm ahead. Sorry. One, of, one of the things I, I think I'd say for you, Stuart, is um, you're a stick to your guns, stick to your investment philosophy guy. So I think the Walmart parking lot data, that's great for a, uh, somebody who wants to make a quick buck. I think that's probably almost the exact opposite of what you'd advise your clients. Yeah. I mean, it's cool information. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Billions, but that's exactly the kind of thing that they do. They look at this stuff and try and figure out what's the next biggest move or, or whatnot. And that seems super sexy. I unfortunately am not that, not that sexy. I'm more of the <laughs> Warren Buffett kind of guy who says, I don't know what's going to happen next month or even next year, but if I buy companies with particular attributes that have shown to outperform over the last several decades, I'm going to guess it's going to continue to happen. Well, when I look at a platform like yours, Sean, at YCharts, or I look at Morningstar, look at, at just different platforms of data, there's so much data that's out there. Like you said, how do I slice through that data and decides what's right for me? You know, you, you need to come into a tool with a hypothesis or unique investment style. Um, what we pride ourselves on is we are that Swiss Army knife. You come in with your premise, you need certain tools, you want to slice data, you want to create pictures. I think that's what real investors need to be looking for is I come in with some ideas, I need some tools, and I need some data to help me prove or disprove some hypotheses. You're saying don't expect yeah. the shovel to tell you where to dig. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Stuart is a very unique person, which is why he is building his AUM the way he is. We are the picks and axes to help Stuart succeed and allow his clients to succeed based on his recommendations. Yeah, Stuart, you were going to say something? Um, no, I just total agreement with that. I was, uh, you don't want to make sure you data mine, like you can fit data to hit anything. And I know in the past, uh, I, I'm sure within Y charts, we tried to find correlations for a variety of different things. And you might come up with like the correlation of a uh, zip code with this GDP of Sweden. I mean, completely unrelated, but they're 90% correlated. You do need to come in with a hypothesis and decide whether it's working and whether it's robust and if it's just worked over a period of time or if it's worked over long periods of time and you can hang your hat on it and it's actionable. Does that mean, Stuart, that this idea, because of places like Sean's company where you can get so much great data, does that mean your job becomes harder every day or does it become easier? By harder, I mean it becomes a lot more competitive. I do think it becomes more competitive in the sense that, um, I mean, you have people around the world. BlackRock, I know, is using a lot of data to do their portfolios. And there is some migration away from this and away from active management into index funds. But still, I think the leap hasn't been made away from index funds into much more systematic approaches. So I still think there's a lot of room there. Yeah. And Sean, I want to ask you because of data like yours too, you know, everybody's been kissing active management goodbye, like Stuart's talking about, but it seems like as we use more algorithms, we use more systems and we use more data, like this could propel active management back. Do you think active management is coming back or are we still going to see passive win the day? 
I absolutely believe active management will come back. I think what we need to do is uh, the market needs to be cleared of the underperformers who have, you know, the, the tail end have brought down the averages. And, and I think where you're really going to notice and see the value of active management is when the market turns. That's when, when all boats rise, it's a little bit hard to differentiate between the speedboat and, and, the, and the, <laughs> the cruise liner. When the market goes down, you're going to see the trend line flip. And we've been pleased to see that notwithstanding the things you'll, you'll read in the press, you know, I, I assume we represent a lot of different companies. Our business is growing at an extremely fast clip, north of 50% a year. That means there are more and more people who are sticking to the active management stock. Well, I guess that answers my last question, which was that, you know, in the pa- past downturns, active managers, as you know, Sean, have also taken it on the chin. But I think what you're saying is because data now can move so much more quickly, that game's not the same as it's been in the past. Game has absolutely changed. It's no longer reading a Goldman Sachs report and, and just looking at a PE ratio. There's a lot more good research you you can do. And back to the school analogy, the tests have gotten harder. Yeah. Um, to get an A is harder, but the tools are all there. And, and the homework and things to support you getting ready are there. Great data, some very, very good tools in the market. And uh, people committed to research and having a premise are still succeeding. Gotta, I love this discussion. Unfortunately, I'm out of time, so I want to ask you about your companies. Stuart, tell us a little bit about Cruise Asset Management and where people can learn more. Sure. We're a boutique asset management firm. We basically work with high-level individuals, some family offices, and as far as our philosophy goes, as you might imagine, we do everything systematically and with math and statistics, so I do not wake up in the morning and say, oh, the iPhone 8 is about to be released. I'm going to check on Apple stock. And there's a mathematical reason for why we buy and sell everything that we do. Uh, You can reach us by our website at www.cruiseassetmanagement.com. And that's K-R-U-S-E. Or you can call into our line at 312-775-6000. Awesome. And we'll link to those if you're walking the dog or out in the morning run, driving to work. We will link to those in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. And Sean, thanks a ton for being here. Tell everybody a little bit about Ycharts. Yep. The letter Y and then the word charts. Go to ycharts.com. We are a cloud-based investment research platform. I mentioned that we're the Swiss Army knife for smart research. You'll find us on the web where we can be accessed through any mobile phone or anything you've got. And for those that are listening and those that come to us before the end of the year, we're happy to offer a 20% discount if you mention the fact that uh, you heard about us on Stacking Benjamins. Awesome. Well, thanks for doing that. And by the way, you guys mostly work with institutions, but for individual investors, I see there's a light platform that individual investors can use. Absolutely. About half of our customer base are oh. retail individual investors. Awesome. Cool. And I'll have the link to Y Charts. It's Y, uh, the letter Y, charts, like Sean said, at stackingbenjamins.com. Stuart, Sean, thanks a ton for joining us, guys. I appreciate it. Thank Joe, you. Thank you. pal neighbor Doug's back to welcome you to your favorite part of the podcast my trivia well to celebrate sourest day my favorite holiday not Joe's mom has totally gone off the deep end and decided we need a sour attitude jar that lady's nuts every time anyone says something negative they gotta drop a quarter into this stupid jar what a dumb idea there goes a quarter this is the dumbest thing oh my god i'm gonna go broke here's the question one classically sour character is scrooge mcduck that guy's awesome what are the names of his nephews i'll be back with the answer and hopefully most of the contents of my wallet in just a minute Hey stackers, we get used to those same daily routines, don't we? Wake up at the same time every morning, brush our teeth, park the car in the same spot at work every day, recite jokes in the mirror to be funnier than that jerk of the water cooler, or is that what just me? Here's one thing you shouldn't make routine, using the same credit card from the same bank just because that's what you've always done. Nick Clements from Magnify Money explains why. I mean, it's never been a better time, honestly, to find a a credit card, especially given the lucrative sign-on bonuses that are out there. Uh, Chase just recently had 100000 on, on their reserve card. I, I think we're at a point right now where 
credit cards are are extremely profitable for large banks um, and they are really wanting to get more customers and so they're they're rolling out the red carpet so i would just say if you're you if you have had a credit card for more than two or three years chances are there's a much better deal out there for you today so why stick with that same old card with those rewards that haven't changed in years? You can use MagnifyMoney.com to always find best in class, including better interest rates. And don't only use Magnify Money for credit cards. Nick and the team have built the site from the ground up to help with personal loans, student loans, and mortgages. Average person saves $450 in interest when they hit stackybenjamins.com forward slash Money. Here's a question. What's keeping you away from investing in real estate? Well, over my career, I repeatedly hear that time, you know, the time it takes to find renters, property managers, and to fix problems and stress. What if you don't find a good property manager? What if you don't find a renter? Those are two of the biggest factors keeping people away from investing in real estate. We talked to Gary Beasley, CEO of Roofstock, about how the team at Roofstock are helping you take back a good night's sleep. The biggest pain point I have found is management. When you buy properties, you don't want to get calls about the tenant having a clogged toilet in the middle of the night. We solve that by finding third-party managers in each market who handle all the details for you. How's that for an advantage? Roofstock's online marketplace makes it easier than ever to buy, sell, and own tenant-occupied investment properties in top rental markets across the country. You own the house, but Roofstock handles as much or as little of the headache-inducing issues that you've come to expect with renting, but that doesn't have to happen if you partner with the right team. Best of all, Roofstock's certified properties are backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Check them out at stackybedjamins.com forward slash Roofstock. That's stackybedjamins.com forward slash Roofstock. Yeah, welcome back to the thrilling conclusion of today's trivia segment. Looking at Joe's mom's sour attitude jar, I think there's probably 20 bucks worth of quarters in there. I'm just, hey, I'm just being honest here, folks. Um, it's what I am. No filter. Just honest Doug. No filter. Hey, let's talk about a guy who really was a sour grape. What are the names of Scrooge McDuck's nephews? The answer? I'm not sure what Scrooge's other nephews' names were, but he only has one that's been made public, and that's Donald Duck. If you said Huey, Dewey, and Louie, those are actually Scrooge's great nephews. What? I gotta put a quarter in the jar for a trick question? You're tying my hands here. Doug caught you. Okay. Doug totally tip, tip, tip of the cap. You. Yep. I was thinking of the little kids. He just baited that hook and brought you right down it. I feel I feel good about that based on what yeah. you did to me during the headlines. Good I just for don't you, understand Doug. why he would uh have to say nephews, plural, but um, you know, it is what it is. Maybe he has more than one nephew. You no, know, in the answer you said he only has one. Well, that we know of. I see. We don't we don't know. So those ducks procreate like crazy. Are you, so are you, there are, could be. I think what you're saying is we need a second tier of regulation around like how we build the trivia. That's what, that's what yes. has to happen. You have to like get a trivia approved here, but then you have to have like way dumber trivia. And if the way dumber trivia is okay, then you can do the current trivia. Cause you can't handle the regular trivia unless you yeah, can handle unless the you're trivia. okay with the really dumber stuff. Hey, let's throw out David Lifeline and tackle some of life's, or rather, life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most, regulations and government, right? Aren't those the two things you value most? Top two, baby. Top in, two. In this, they're tied for one, actually. In this case, though, it's family and time. They were the first life insurance agency startup that's also wholly owned by industry giant Mass Mutual to create a high-quality, affordable term life insurance policy that you can purchase entirely online. Qualified healthy applicants can skip the medical exam. That saves you a ton of time. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote and learn about life insurance the modern way. They just they just revamped their website. They they've revamped everything. I mean, this this website was already rocking and uh Check it out, stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Today, we're throwing out the lifeline to our new friend, Ben. Say hello, Ben. 
hey, Joan OG, and that other guy that does the trivia. I don't really remember his name. I have a question about management fees. I'm a client of you may have heard of them. They, according to their website, charge 2% on the first 150000 or something like that. We have about 78000 with them right now. And I was looking at my management fee statement from 2016, and it totals up to $1,100, which sounds like a lot to me from a dollar's perspective. I guess I just don't know what I what kind of service I should expect for a fee like 2%. Is that high? Is that kind of typical? I don't really interact with them a ton. I know that they're managing the money and they're uh, looking for rebalancing opportunities constantly. But outside of that, I don't really have a lot of, uh, I don't really see a lot of service from them. So I'm just kind of wondering if that's reasonable or if I should maybe think about switching to someone that's a little cheaper. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the note there, Ben. And we beeped out the name of the firm because it, yeah, it, it's not material. Yeah, right? it actually doesn't matter. So, so he's he's got this two percent fee for for management. You heard the rest. Is it too high? Well, firstly, eleven hundred bucks on seventy eight thousand is one point four percent, not two. So maybe you're getting a discount, or maybe you're only there for not the full year. You'd want to look at like a monthly statement or a quarterly if they do the fees quarterly, and then just take that quarterly number multiplied by four and divide that into uh, the balance at the end of the the statement period there. But uh, 2% probably in our day and age now is just a skosh high, I would imagine. But ultimately, it's not about the fee, as a, in my perspective, as it is about the work that you're getting done, right? A lot of the work that financial advisors do certainly is about putting you on the right track and doing some of the tactical things like rebalancing and helping you design an allocation and providing investment solutions and and that sort of thing. But I think the biggest value that advisors provide over the lifetime of the relationship is preventing you from having a big mistake or providing you with an opportunity that you didn't know existed. Just anecdotally, a great example of that would be you know, the dark, dark, dark times of 2009, the early part of 2009, when a lot of people said, this time's different. It's going to, you know, the market's crashing. It's down 50%. I've got to get out. And if you had someone on your team who said, don't do that. As a matter of fact, let's invest more as aggressively as possible. Then, you know, low these past eight and a half years or so, you've, uh, you've benefited quite handsomely from that. And so it's hard to put an exact price tag on value for cost in any one short period of time. But over time, that's that's what I would expect. The other thing that you want to be aware of is, you know, the other ancillary things that your advisory team or the people that you work with provide. Do they provide access to other professionals? You know, do they help synchronize things like taxes and estate planning and that sort of thing? Do they look out for other things? For purely a service of invest and rebalance, probably one, one and a half is a skosh high. But if you're getting some of that other stuff, only you can be the judge of whether or not it's valuable for you and your family, though. Yeah, I think it's too high. And the reason I think it's too high is very similar to what you're saying, OG, is that there's six areas of financial planning. All he's talking about is one of them, which is the investment part. And if, and if, if you're paying $1,100 on that much money to not interact with them very often and to have them just look for opportunities... I think there's people that will do minimal touch, higher fee service, uh, but not as high. Uh, so he'll still get the minimum approach, but pay less. I'm, I'm not a fan of that. But, but like you said, it's about the service that you get. And when I look at a good financial advisory relationship, this person should be your, your agent. You know, you're a rock star and they're your agent. So when you say, when you say, are they giving you access to other professionals. Not only are they giving you access, they're identifying that you need that professional. They're saying, hey, you know what, OG? You got a problem in this area. Why don't we look for a CPA to work on that? You know, And then I can help you interview those people. I can take you through that process. Maybe you're somebody who's struggling with cash flow. Why don't we look for opportunities to free up cash flow? And then why don't I show you ways to get that money saved so that it's not in your hand and now you're building your net worth, but you're not feeling the effects of it on your lifestyle today. Or maybe you need to feel the lifestyle effects today. 
like all these things, your estate plan, your, your, your risk management strategy, your debt strategy, like all of these things. And he's paying somewhere between 1.4 and 2% for, I know they're looking for opportunities and I don't talk to them much. Lose it. I mean, it's horrible. Yeah. Get, yeah. Yeah. My, I, I mean, at the very least it's, it's time for a very serious talk because clearly if you're if you're calling us with that question, they're not on your team. We're on. Oh, your team, yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. We're on your team more than they are. And uh, let's let's charge him eleven hundred bucks to listen to the show. That's what I think. <laughs> no, like nine fifty. That's right. <laughs> we can we, we we got a deal for you, Ben. Yeah, I was going to I was going to joke. I was going to say we got a deal for you, Bill. I mean, Ben, <laughs> we can't remember your name. Nine hundred bucks, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great question. It is about the service. OG $1,100 on its own. Not high. $1,100 for nothing. Very high. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the question. If you've got a question for the Haven Lifeline, send those to us. Just go to stackybenjamins.com at the top of the website. You'll see uh, questions for the show link. Doug also brings down the mail. Today we have a letter from our new friend, Glenn, Glenn is 49 years old. He says he works at a small 30-person firm and has been contributing 12% of his salary to his employer's 401k and Roth 401k program for many years. He says, my employer matches up to 5% and we have profit sharing equal to 3% of my annual salary once a year as well. After noticing a dismal 6 to 8% return in our company's supposed, quote, growth funds between 2010 and 2016, Despite the market's ridiculously high performance as compared to a DUI private Roth with a smaller balance, I have an outside brokerage that is a 15 to 25% gain during the same period. I took a closer look and realized the funds are charging management and other fees up to one and a half percent at minimum, in addition to their lame performance. As a result, I scale back my company contributions to 5% in order to keep the matching, and I'm now contributing the remainder to my private Roth IRA that's invested in low-cost index funds and exchange traded funds. I'm frustrated because the majority of my accumulated 13 years' worth of retirement savings is stuck with my employer's underperforming high-fee 401k funds, and the brokerage doesn't have low-cost index funds as an option. Short of leaving my job and finding a company with a better retirement brokerage, is there anything I can do, Glenn? Thanks for the question, Glenn. Unfortunately, directly, unless you're on the committee, there's nothing directly you can do, but indirectly, there's a ton you can do. Yeah, we talked about this Monday, last week, Wednesday, this came up, almost almost the exact same thing. Just talked about it. Worth going yeah, over I mean, again, though. Yeah, there's something that you can do about it. You can talk to your boss about it and say, I'll do all the heavy lifting or put a committee together of like-minded individuals. You got 30 people. There's probably a number of other people that have similar concerns, you know, water cooler talk or that sort of thing. And uh, look for options. Let's do something we didn't do the other day, which is we didn't really pull back the curtain on, on 401ks. So let me do that for a second. 401ks are expensive beasts and there've been rules put in place to make them less expensive for really small companies. But still, if your company is a, medium-sized company or larger, you're going to have you're going to have some fairly significant fees for 401k management. Now there's there's two ways that the company can handle that. Way number one is that they pay all of those fees and the employees don't pay much. Right. The second way is is that the employer doesn't pay much and the employee then pays the fee as extra management fees. Which one of those two, the employee or the employer, does the salesperson for the 401k talk to when they walk into a company? They talk to the employer. Is it an easier sale to say, hey, this is going to cost you next to nothing, and then kind of go, yeah, but the fees are going to be real expensive because we got to get paid somehow, right? It's like those old Bugs Bunny cartoons where, uh, you know, I remember this cartoon where Bugs Bunny's asking this lion where he wants to get hit. Does he want to get hit on the head or does he want to get hit on the behind? And the, and the lion says, oh, I want to get hit on the head. He didn't ask him if he, whether he wants to get hit or not. He asked him where he wants to get hit. Right. That's the way it is, I think, with 401k management fees. Unless you go with one of these new fintech options like we had on the show, like Forest All or, or, or some of these. I mean, I think they're coming. But until then, the way things are now, it's where do you want to get hit? 
And it's an easier sale to tell the employer, hey, we'll just hit the employees. We won't hit you. Most of the time, you're absolutely correct there. And you have perspective in this, I think, that uh, that other people don't have. And you're right. There's a lot of moving parts in a 401k, right? There's record keeping. There's accounting. There is uh, government uh, forms that you have to fill out and file every year. So there's a lot of costs associated with that. And somebody's writing the check. And you're right. It's a lot easier to sell it to the employer, to the boss, go that says, hey, you don't have to do it. Now, here's the other side of that coin. You may be able to get lower fees in your 401k, but at the expense of not having the profit sharing, right? Like they may look at it and go, yeah, we don't care. You want all Vanguard funds in here. That's cool. We still got to get our $50,000 fee. So Mr. Employer, you're going to write that check. And now the employer says, that's fine. I'll write the check. I'm just not going to write it to, to, you know. I'm going to lower the match. To, to a different, you know, different deal. There's probably opportunity in there to change both. Generally speaking, every 401k plan that I've seen has had a lot of fluff built into it, basically. And you're right. With a lot of the regulations going on right now, companies are just holding on for dear life because they've got these gravy trains that kind of are on autopilot. But the the genie's out of the bottle a little bit, you know, yeah. like Glenn's talking about here. And, you know, we see the 401k lawsuits and stuff like that that have gone on. People are noticing that it's high. Now, what does that mean for him? A, you can talk to your boss or talk to the HR team or whatever and say, how do we fix this? And but short of them. And don't just talk to them, Glenn. Bring the numbers. Go to what we talked earlier in the show about Morningstar. Pull up a Morningstar sheet of your 401k growth fund. Pull up a Morningstar sheet for the uh, fund that you use outside of it that competes, as you say, directly against it. And I hope it really does. But bring bring those two side by side and say, this is what I'm getting here. This is what I'm getting outside of here. Yeah, there's some fees that he's not going to be able to see, to your point, like the record keeping fees and stuff like sure. that are not going to be disclosed. So HR is going to have to either provide that to him or help that in the calculation, kind of plug it in for him. No, he's just but, talking about the, the the returns. I mean, he can yeah, see the no, return, no, the six-day. Sure. He'll see that on a Morningstar sheet. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So bring it to the HR folks, bring it to the, you know, the head cheese and say, you know, I want to do this. Short of that, you got to be real careful on saying, well, I'm just not going to participate or I'm going to participate less because it's really hard to beat the pre-tax option. Now, as it relates to your financial planning, it may make sense to contribute to a Roth as opposed to a pre-tax account like your regular 401k, but that's a separate discussion. But don't look at those management fees of a point and a half or whatever on the funds and say, well, I'm not going to put any money there because it's, you know, I'm only growing at 8% a year instead of 10 because you're getting a huge tax benefit today by contributing to that 401k. Again, that being said, according to your plan, however, you may need to have different tax diversification. So in that case, it would make sense to have the Roth as well. So a lot of it depends on the goals and the timeframes that you have for when you need this money, your tax bracket and all that other sort of stuff. But don't just blanket say, well, I'm not going to do that because the fees are too high because there's other dominoes in that line, right? That, that you have to be aware of. Yeah. He's in a tough spot. Glenn, we feel for you, but I, going to your employer is a number one thing to do and bring data, bring lots and lots of data. Thanks for the question, Glenn. If you've got a question, send those to us, stackybenjamins.com along the top of our website. It says questions for the show and uh, we're happy to uh, take your question like we took questions from Ben and Glenn today. Thanks also to everybody who's left a review of the show because it helps people understand what they're getting into. And uh, five stars here from Doodle Gal OG. It says, just right. I started listening to Stacking Benjamins a few months ago. Can't believe I didn't find them sooner. Love the content and the perfect amount of humor and wit Joe and OG provide. It's definitely just right. Top favorite podcast for me. And mom is putting that on the fridge. And she's excited because the bridge group is coming over today. And... They're going to get to see it. How about that? Maybe some extra dessert today. I, I don't, but I don't know if we want dessert on Sour Day. Sour Day sounds horrible. Sour Dessert Day? Yeah. <laughs> Pass. We'll leave that one for Doug. And if you've got questions about your financial plan and need help in your corner, OG's taking clients. So uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G, uh, gets you on his calendar to talk about what it would take to have OG and his team uh, working with you. 
All right, that's going to do it today. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned? Sure thing, Joe. Go ahead and get back to having whatever fun you have doing this stupid show. God, this sour holiday is really getting to me. What did we learn today, folks? See here what I'm doing? I'm turning on the nice. Well, first, take some advice from Sean and Stuart. Playing a hunch with your investments? Maybe starting with a strategy and then applying data to confirm your approach would be a more scientific and probably successful method. Second, worried about investment fees? They can be a huge drag on performance, so ask yourself, what am I getting for this fee? But the big takeaway? Don't agree to put 25 cents in Joe's mom's sour jar every time you say something negative. She'll make all your sizzler money disappear. Gone. Special thanks to Stuart Cruz from Cruz Asset Management for joining us. You'll find out more about Stuart's firm on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Also, special thanks to Sean Brown, CEO of YCharts, for joining today's discussion. You'll find out more about YCharts at YCharts.com or where? Yeah, you know it. At our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. And super special thanks to Joe's mom, not for agreeing to treat this week at the Sizzler. She's going to totally cramp my style down there with the ladies. That's the least she could do, though, after she robbed me of all my money on that sour jar. There goes another quarter. Never going to have any money. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. This is the last show where you and I are together before the break. So we're getting a week off here, OG. Yeah, a week off. Yeah. Well, we're <laughs> Mrs. OG was just talking about our week off and how she was she was just planning out the the she plans dinners a week in advance like, you know, what days I'll be home and she's like, "So you're going to be home Sunday?" I'm like, "No." She's like, "You're going to be home Monday?" No, no. Eating dinner here Tuesday? Nope. Wednesday? Nuh-uh. Thursday? Nah. Friday? I don't think so. Saturday? Mm-mm. Sunday? Uh, no, we got to go out because we got a thing. She's like, okay, how about Monday the following week? I'm like, I'll be home for dinner then. So it's, eight days. This is funny. So, you know, we have been working on our budget very closely, set a more strict uh, restaurant budget lately this quarter. <laughs> What's funny is, is that it was the same thing, but on the on the whole opposite side. It was so grocery wise, um, you're going to be eating at home uh, Wednesday. No, Thursday. No, Friday. No, Saturday. No. Wow. <laughs> We're saving <laughs> don't a ton have to of buy money. anything. I might as well just go to Wendy's once and be done with it. That's a good news, bad news thing, because as people hear this, we are at uh, FinCon, uh, probably yep. just arrived as you're listening to this. And um, it's it is 
It's uh, great in the way that we don't have to buy groceries. It's bad because it's going to be like potato skins and uh, fried mushrooms and um, fried, just fried blank and barbecue blank and beer. Like that's, yeah. that's the whole thing. That's, and then that's your diet for this, this week. Yeah. Three hours of sleep and then coffee and then do it again. It is uh pack some Tums, man. Hmm. Hey, uh, can we talk about a movie? Yeah, all right. That I went and saw. I went and saw Foreigner. You want to pull that up? Everyone's already inside. Bye, Dad. An explosion rocked the city today. 20,000 pounds for the names of the bombers. That's not how we do things here. Hello? Mr. Hennessy, he's here again. That's five days in a row now. What does he want? His daughter was killed in the bombing. Mr. Hennessy, please find out the names of the bombers. I work for the government, not terrorists. You used to work for them. I don't know who the bombers are. I don't believe in you. It's him. Tell me the names of the bombers. You will tell me the names of the bombers, says Jackie Chan. This was a pretty awesome movie. A nice, uh, nice mix of dude stuff, you know, shooting and blowing stuff up and uh, suspense and drama. So it starts out, Jackie Chan is, uh, he, he did, they're in London and he's picking up his daughter from school. They're going to the, the dress store so he can drop her off for a uh, so she could pick up a dress for the big dance car bomb goes off kills her a number of other people and he's just you know in his in, in another world as you can imagine and so he tries to persuade the officials there there's a scene you heard about here's the thirty thousand pounds for the names of the bombers right and uh the officials say hey we're, you know we're investigating it there's there's nothing this isn't how we work you don't bribe the officials to get the names you know whatever and so he's got a suspicion that he knows who it is. And so he kind of does his own little investigation along the way and kind of tracks down the IRA. This is an IRA bombing, allegedly. So he goes to Belfast and he meets with the minister, the deputy minister in Ireland, who is Pierce Brosnan's Pierce character. Brosnan, yeah. And he's saying, you know, I don't know who he is. And the guy and, and Jackie Chan says, but you used to work for him. And so you find out that. Pierce Brosnan used to be a member of the IRA, isn't any longer. And the whole movie is him trying to solve this without causing too much a ruckus, you know, in the homeland. Meanwhile, the British government is trying to stir up as much stuff as they can, because obviously this is allegedly an IRA bombing. And so they want to, um, you know, put people back on the streets in Northern Ireland and all that sort of stuff. And then in the middle of that is Jackie Chan just trying to get vengeance for his daughter. So... Vintage Jackie Chan, 65 years old or however old he is now, and he's still flipping around buildings and he's kicking so people amazing. in the face. And, you know, it's like, holy shnikes, that guy can move. But uh, uh, I am really excited about this two, movie. Two hours, two hours of movie. Boom, it's over and you go, wow. Okay. That's funny. I want to go see Blade Runner. I'm definitely going to see this film. Um, I, I also, I want to see Blade Runner because I like the original one. And I heard that it's true to it in a lot of ways, but then I hear that it's slow, which doesn't bother me with sci-fi because like thoughtful science fiction, I, I like, but that almost three hours, dude, almost Ooh, how long it is? two hours and 44 minutes, I think. And then you've got the, you know, 15 minutes of trailers beforehand. I'm at three hours in the theater. Like we're looking at going to you need like supper, <laughs> a couple potty breaks. Right, exactly. They need to hit pause like halfway through and go, ladies and gentlemen, now is the time to refresh your beverages and uh, use the restroom. Right. It's just the, the curtain call, you know. Well, it's actually that. in the opposite order. Use the restroom so that you can make room for more beverages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it just, why, why? The two hours and four, uh, that's, that's uh, going to be tough. So, um, Warner, great movie. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Have a fantastic week off. Oh, gee. Yeah, you too. Yeah, bye. Can't wait. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, 
who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.